Welcome to the Keep Idaho Red Radio Show, where you'll hear from national, statewide, and local Republican leaders about the issues that are most important to Idahoans today. Now, please welcome Tom Luna and Vic Miller. Welcome back to another episode of Keep Idaho Red Radio. I'm Victor Miller, one of the hosts, and uh, we are on KIDO 107.5 FM, 580 AM, and in the Magic Valley, we're on KLIX. And we're going to kick off the show today with a very important guest, and that is our new Speaker of the House, Mike Moyle. Mike Moyle uh, now represents District 10 CA. He's in his 13th term, so he is the oldest and wisest of everyone. And uh, he was four years as the Assistant Majority Leader. He was eight years as the Majority Leader, and he has now been elected by his fellow legislators to the Speaker role. Good morning to you, uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Moyle. Good morning, Victor. Glad to be with you today and look forward to your questions and having a visit about some of the issues facing Idaho. Well, thank you very much for that. So let's um, now normally the first thing we always speak with you about is taxes, but I don't I think we're going to try some new things this time. So the first question I want to uh, really talk to you is about the judiciary and to how our judges are uh, chosen and whether you think that's the best uh, the current system is the best one for Idaho. All right. Thank you, Victor. Yeah, I, our, our judges in Idaho, our founding fathers, had a big debate on how to, how to choose the judges. Uh, and they went around with different ideas. One of the ideas was that the governor would appoint and the Senate would confirm. And they ended up with the idea that all the judges should be elected, that the electors should have, the electoral should have a say at who the judges were and how they got there. Well, through the years, things have changed. It was reaffirmed in 1914, I think, again, in the, in the 50s, 60s, whatever. But in 1967, Idaho changed the way it does it picks their judges, and they did it through what's called the Judicial Council. So now what happens, and it's led by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, now what happens, instead of having elections on our judges most of the time, they are actually appointed by Judicial Council, which is made up of judges and attorneys few other folks and they pick a slate of names from two to four and they send them to the governor and he gets to choose between either those two or four names whatever many things they say there he doesn't have a choice he has to pick between those two and four names that was never the intent they were supposed to be elected and judicial council was originally set up i believe anyways to only pick when there was vacancies caused by some you know circumstance now you have all the judges retiring early so that the judiciary can control who the new judges are. In fact, I think it's like 48 of the 52 judges that are currently sitting on the bench were all appointed. I got a problem with that. I think they should go before the electorate. I think there should be elections for judges, just like there are for legislators. I also have a problem that when you look at the ballot, the way the ballot reads, it gives an advantage to the incumbent judge. There shouldn't be a so justice so-and-so be reaffirmed or whatever the words are. It should be... Here's John Doe, and, and here's Jack Smith, and pick your judge. They, you know, I think we need to go back to the original intent of our founding fathers with our judiciary. You're seeing some, um, some decisions out of the court that concern me. You saw that with reapportionment, where the, the judiciary literally said, we don't care that the Constitution says don't split counties, and we don't care that the law says don't split counties. We're going to split counties. And... And so counties like Ada and Canyon and many others were penalized by the court not forcing the re, you know, reapportionment committee to follow the Constitution. So that's one of the concerns that Mike Moyle has and I would really like to address and get done this year. I know that there's a compromise bill, a draft anyways, bill, 
draft bill sitting out there and it's got some good stuff in it that helps makes things better and, and maybe that's the answer i don't know I, I still though really firmly believe judges ought to be like legislators they're the third branch of government they ought to be elected they ought to stand before the voters and the voters ought to have an idea of what they think say and do they shouldn't be just re, re i mean appointed by an in some cases, some of those individuals aren't elected individuals on the Judicial Council and put in a judge seat without the voters having to say, I've got a problem with that. So you've talked about a compromise bill. Can you tell me, um, so who is running, do you know who's running the bills on each side of the, of the, of the state house? Yeah, on the Judicial Council one, it's, uh, there was uh, Senator Abby Lee and uh, Representative Manwaring and some of our judiciary friends got together and I think there was uh, some another senator. I think uh, Rudkey was in there. I'm not sure who was on there, uh, but they got together and have a compromise. It's better than what you have now. It does it does allow, for example, under the current process, if uh, somebody has something bad to say about you and you're you're applying to be a judge, under the current law, you don't get to know who says what or what they said. The new law will at least, if it passes, would allow you at least to know what they said. You won't know who said it. It's pretty easy to say bad things about people, you know, in the dark of night. But it will at least let you know what the comments are. And it does give the governor the opportunity to say, hey, these these names I'm not super happy with. Send me another slate. And I think that's that's a positive add on so that the governor has at least does. He, he's not controlled with two names. He might get more in the second slate. So it does give the governor a little more leeway. And there's some other good parts of it. But uh, and it's a step in the right direction. But I still in my heart of hearts feel that. They need to all be elected unless there's some extenuating circumstances. So, and we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'll win that fight. I know there's a lot of other people involved, and I know we're looking at it. But I think it's important for Idahoans to know that we're trying to find a solution to how our judges are appointed when there's not an election. 40 out of 52 judges being appointed does not sound like they're being elected. So let's talk about uh, something that's uh, more uh, generic. Um, people don't really think about it, but it does have profound impacts, and that's rules. So the legislature passes laws, and then those laws have to create rules, and those rules are created by the governor's office or maybe the branch of the government that's affected by the law. Uh, those effectively have the full effect of law. So y you have been talking about a something that's been under the radar relative to rules, and what is that, and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, under the current process, we pass a bill, and if there's mechanisms that need to be utilized to enforce the law, they can do it. The executive branch creates rules to enforce those laws. Think about um, when some of our current, current and past presidents in the United States couldn't get a bill passed in Congress. They just go and write up a rule, put a rule out. You know, here's the rule. This is the law of the land. It's a rule. There, no, Congress didn't vote on it. It was done by the, by the executive branch. It's similar in Idaho. It's similar that we pass a law, the governor then goes in and passes rules to enforce the law or do whatever. Under Idaho's current system, unless it's a fee rule, the, uh, only ha they only have to be approved by one body. So a rule could, the governor could put out a rule that may or may not pertain to a law, and, the, and it has the effect of law, and one senator or one house chairman could put it in the drawer, never even have a hearing in it because of the law of the land. Rules have the effect of law, and in my opinion, rules should be approved by both the House and the Senate. Now, that's been an ongoing discussion between the House and Senate for several years. We've always had problems on the Senate side getting it through. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming hopefully we can find a compromise that the governor would support. We're working along that lines, But I think there needs to be some more 
some more stuff added to that process. I think there needs to be more openness that when they have these hearings and these meetings to make rules that it ought to be open to the public or at least it ought to be on uh, videotape somewhere. So you can go look it up and see what's there. So that's in the bill. It ought to make it so, and the law also, you'll see it in the next few days, the law also, the, the RS, it'll be, a, it'll be a bill soon. But it also says that, hey, you can't, you can't just run the same rule if the legislature kills it. You've got to have a little change. You've got to be a little difference in that so we, we know that, you know, there's, there's some stuff that we can do, but we don't want the same thing over and over because we left town and just put another rule out. The other thing it does is it, said, it staggers it, but it says that all rules will go away after eight years. That's a good thing, and that it will provide more openness in government, transparency, and it will force the, the executive branch and the legislative branch to look at those rules in the future. They don't just stay on the books forever. We go back and say, hey, this isn't needed anymore, or we need a little tweak here. And by having them on go away every eight years on autopilot, I think everybody benefits from that. So that, that's been a big debate. It's a hard issue. I think the Senate's been more inclined this year to maybe try to resolve it. And I've had some good discussion with Senate leadership. They've been awesome to work with on this issue, and we're trying to find a solution and a path forward. But I I just want to emphasize, I don't think that people really realize that rules have the effect of law, and they're being basically put upon the citizens of Idaho without legislative consent when it's not requiring both bodies to approve it. So I want both bodies to approve all the rules. We'll be right back after this segment. We're going to have another segment with Speaker of the House, Mike Moyle. Welcome back to Keep Idaho Red Radio on KIDO 107.5 FM, 580 AM. And uh, we're blessed to have District 10, Seat A, 13th term Speaker of the House, Mike Moyle with us. And we were just talking about uh, rules and we were talking about um, some of the other issues that are coming before uh, the judiciary, coming before Idaho. But let's talk about something that you really love, and that is taxes. So I know there's a there's a I believe three property tax bills just in the House. <clears throat> I'm not, <clears throat> and I think there's one coming from the Senate. So maybe talk about um, what's so important on property taxes, and do you think that there will be a bill that will be passed and will be signed by the governor? Uh, I'll start with the last question first. I hope there's one that's that passed and signed by the governor. Let's talk about the three bills on the House side. I know them a little bit. One is brought to us by uh, Senator Grow. And what it does is takes a four and a half percent of the sales tax revenue or one hundred and twenty million dollars and it sends it back to the counties to go to provide property tax relief for owner occupied homes. So if you have a, a homeowner's exemption, excuse, you would um, if you have a homeowner's exemption, you'd get a, you'd get a little relief um, and it's catered only to owner occupied homes. There is one concern that I have is that we did a bill last year. In fact, I did the bill to to make it mandatory that you only have one homeowner's exemption, and we have to get that on the books. I think it takes effect July 1, because we have individuals that have Airbnbs and are getting homeowner's exemptions in different counties. Nobody's checking that. So we did a bill last year to catch some of those individuals that have multiple homeowner's exemption. That's important to you because it raises your taxes. Uh, The second bill is Representative Scogg's bill. Representative Scogg's bill deals with the homeowner's exemption. It raises the homeowner's exemption. It indexes it. Um, and uh, I know that some of our city and county friends like that one because it doesn't provide uh, tax relief to everybody, but it doesn't require them to, to cut their budgets. Remember when we talk about property taxes, and I'll say this many times, the state of Idaho does not collect property taxes, and we do not spend them. 
again, we don't collect them, we don't spend them. That's all, all those decisions are made by your locally elected officials, your highway district commissioners, your county commissioners, your city councilmen, all those guys decide what your property taxes go up or down. And by the way, it is budget driven. Budget goes up, somebody's paying more, budget goes down, everybody, you know, the taxes go down. So you're gonna see some debate about representative SCOGS and the homeowners um, issue and some of the concerns that I hear about that, and I'll bring them up, uh, are the fact that remember when it's all budget driven and so to determine the tax you pay, you take the base value, the value of the taxing district and you divide it by the budget. Well, when you increase the homeowner's exemption, the, the base value goes down, that, that denominator goes down and so when you divide it by the budget, the number you get, which is the mill levy rate, which is multiplied by your value to determine your taxes go up. So there's this perception that raising the homeowner's exemption is a good thing and gonna lower everybody's taxes. It will lower some, but it could actually raise others depending on your taxing district and how many owner-occupied homes there. If you live in a city or a taxing district or a county or whatever, a taxing district that has a lot of owner-occupied homes and no ag ground or commercial or, un, or, or, or non-occupied owner homes, uh, there's nobody to shift it to. You're not, you're not getting as much relief. And so uh, there's a confusion on that. There's also a lot of push on that one because it has an index on it. Uh, and everybody thinks the index is good. It could be good if prices were, were going up, but you've seen the fact that prices are going down. And so now you've got to be a little careful. Prices are going down, and if we index it, as the prices go down, the, 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 uh, the uh, homeowner's exemption will also go down. So let's talk about the last one. The last one is the one that I call the Monk's Moyle Bill. It pertains property taxes too. It takes $300 million. It it takes that $300 million, divides it by the average daily attendance in all the schools across the state, and then it turns around and takes how many children they have in those school districts, and it sends those money back to that money back to the school districts, depending on the number of students they have, and they have to use that money for a couple of things. One, they have to use it to pay off any school bonds they have, property tax relief. They have to pay off any supplementals if there's money left over property tax relief and then if they don't have any supplementals or bonds and I think there's only one school district in the state that's that way they have to use the money to put it in a fund to um, to pay for any safety issues any any problems that the buildings have or you know if you're in a district that's got a leaky roof or whatever they got to pay for safety and health issues the other thing it has in there it does raise the circuit breaker a little bit because there was some concerns that a lot of our our friends were left off the circuit breaker with the bill a couple of years ago, so it helps address that problem and get them back on the circuit breaker. It also does another thing where it limits the days that bond and supplemental levies can be run in school districts instead of being March, May, August, and November. It changes it so they can only run them in May and November. Now, a lot of people have had a really hard time with the fact that we're running supplementals and bonds in November when they're all on vacation and not home. So those are the three on the House right now. Again, I want to emphasize that the, the state is being blamed for this issue, but we don't collect them, we don't spend them, and I encourage you to go listen to those hearings next summer when they set those budgets. It's all budget-driven. They raise the budget, you're going to pay more taxes. That's just how it works. So please get there and, and have a say in those budget hearings. So 30 seconds, how does Mike Moyle assign bills to what committees? 
usually what I do is I sit down with the chief clerk and we go through the statutes and decide where it fits. Does it fit in June rules? Does it fit in education? Does it fit in commerce? And you saw that debate on the governor's bill. It had five sections or so in it. Most of the sections were education, so that's where I felt it should go. I generally try to put it in the committee that deals with those sections of code. Not always. I can, I can move that around. That's one of the speaker's prerogatives. But I don't like doing that unless it's something that's really necessary or there's a different issues involved. But try to keep it to the statute and the committee that's involved with those statutes. Well, we've been visiting with Speaker of the House Mike Moyle on Keep Idaho Red Radio. We'll be right back after this segment. We, we thank you for your service to this to this state and we uh, will no doubt revisit on judiciary the rules and property tax with you at some point later in the session thank you victor look forward to talking in the future we'll be right back <laughs> 